When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison producing as always. Appreciate Sage Rosenfels and Robert Mays for their time. If you missed any of it, make sure you go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us the uh, five-star rating if you can. I'm told that that is important, so do that. Um, And now on the line from the PFF offices in Cincinnati, probably in a closet there, is uh, Sam Monson. What's up, Sam? Hey, how's it going? How's uh, how's the view? I am indeed in a brick closet. It's different than the one you were in, though. It's in oh, the other closet. One. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, um, the rest of the building is nice. Uh, that closet, you'll only be there for like 15 minutes or so. so okay, you're fine. cool. Um, I, I want to start out, Sam, with I did a piece on PFF grades uh, for the Vikings through their first couple of games. And there's some things that stick out. And, and we talked about this. You and I went back and forth, uh, maybe on Twitter, four months ago. So I expect you to remember this. <laughs> about um, Pat Elfline and sort of how he's going to fit into the Vikings' offensive line. And you were talking about being concerned. He has the lowest PFF grade through two preseason games. Does that mean anything to you um, at this point? Well, preseason for me is all about um, confirmation bias. So anything that I thought heading into preseason, if there's any information whatsoever to back that up during preseason, I'm a huge fan of it. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you listen to our data analytics guys and the, the science, you know, Eric Eager and George, those guys essentially, they don't put a whole lot of stock in, in preseason at all, really. Mm-hmm. It yeah. doesn't move the needle for them. Um, I think it's because that's really what it ends up being. It's small sample sizes, and it's a lot of confirmation bias. And if you try and fold that into the data, it do- it gets very noisy very quickly. But, you know, I think ultimately I'm, I'm big in sort of stacking bits of PFF data together. And if they all start telling the same story, I, I think it's, it's indicative. So when you've got players that, you know, are struggling um, with grading, consistently do so, and you know, player people are either making excuses for them or giving you reasons why it doesn't count, and then it just starts to stack up and stack up. So, you know, there's a lot that you can pull up in terms of excuses or reasons that Elfline's grade hasn't been great. But it, you know, it's not. It's definitely concerning. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be the thing that defines him going forward, but it is just one more piece of data that says that this guy is a lot worse than you know some people would have you believe. So where I'm concerned is, you know, last year they tried to move Mike Remmers to guard, and that was a disaster. 
and moving offensive linemen around. I don't know if you guys have data on this for guys who go from tackle to guard, guard to tackle, center to guard, and things like that. But it's always a a little bit of uh, puts my antenna up as, okay, going to have to keep an eye on this situation. And with him struggling in the preseason games, in practice, he hasn't gotten to go against Linval Joseph very much because Joseph hasn't been practicing. And I just... I. I wouldn't have a supreme amount of confidence in how this is going to turn out with him changing positions coming off of a tough year. Yeah, I just I don't think we you, there's any data that says we can be confident in how he's going to turn out at the moment. It, you know, when you look at all of the information, none of it is good. You know, we're dealing with a guy who's graded poorly during the regular season for a couple of years. Even if you look at his preseasons, they haven't been good. Um, and yeah, the the issue is we're dealing with. You know, again, really small sample size across two games. I think we're talking about like 28 snaps for him so far this preseason. So, you know, it's a really small sample size. That's like, it's a half of a relatively long game in an NFL offense these days. So, you know, it's, it's a small sample size to be dealing with, but it's bad. So, you know, ultimately at some point he has to put something on, on tape or on paper that isn't bad and for us to have any kind of confidence that he can succeed going down the line. So Sam, I, I know that you guys have studied, um, pressure from the inside versus pressure from the outside and, and what they do to offenses. I think if you, uh, watched Vikings football last year, you know, there was a lot of pressure on the interior on Kirk Cousins. And I think with this particular quarterback, Sam, it's a big problem when it's interior pressure. Even if the outside does more damage, that you you know your Akeem Hicks and your Mike Daniels in the NFC North, if this Elfline thing doesn't work out, and Garrett Bradbury, as um, PFF grades would tell you, rookies don't always just jump right into the mix and dominate, uh, even if they're first rounders. And then you have Josh Klein, who was cut by his team. I think it's something that we haven't talked a lot about because the offensive line has looked okay in practice, but it could quickly become a concern. So my question is, how valuable is it? Um, to have a stout, I guess, middle of the offensive line, and how much of a problem could it be if it isn't? Yeah, it's interesting. There's a there's kind of a few things at play. When we run the numbers, edge rush pressure actually ends up as more valuable, but it's really because of this, the strip sacks and mm-hmm. the, the idea that you will force fumbles on those plays around the edge where the quarterback doesn't see it coming, his arm is cocked ready to throw, and then an arm comes in and swats the ball away. And, you know, obviously any turnover, any fumble is a huge play in terms of value for a defense and a negative play for the offense. So when you're playing around the edge, you're likely to get more of those, and it makes that pressure a little bit more valuable. Plus, you get more of it. You know, those guys one-on-one on the edge, they Mm -hmm. generate pressure at a higher rate. Typically, the only guy to really buck that trend is Aaron Donald, who's just on another world uh, inside. But... There's definitely a case to be made that interior pressure, when it's just pressure, bothers some quarterbacks more than any other type of pressure because, you know, obviously they see it coming. It's, it's approaching them right up the middle. It, it causes them the inability to be able to step up into these throws, whereas a lot of sort of pressure coming around the edge, it's not that they're oblivious to it, but they can maneuver and they know they can get rid of the ball. And it's just, you know, it's almost like a ticking clock that they have to deal with mm-hmm. as opposed to an actual problem they have to navigate, you know, right in front of them when they're trying to deliver the pass. So, you know, I think there's a couple of different ways to look at it. But either way, if the interior of your offensive line is just hemorrhaging constant pressure and allowing guys straight up the middle, particularly in this division, as you said, where there is a ton of really strong, really powerful, really um, capable interior defenders, 
I mean, that's just bad news. Talking with uh, Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. Okay, so this ties in, Sam, to how the Vikings want to play offense. And we were talking with Robert Mays earlier about how um, their offensive strategy and style with Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski, and this is what I've seen at practice on a daily basis, it just looks better than it did last year. It looks smarter designed, and it feels designed more to fit with Kirk Cousins. And I threw it out there to Robert. Does he think it's going to work? So let me ask you. Do you think it's going to work with designing the offense this way, knowing where uh, the strengths they have in receivers and in Delvin Cook, but some of the potential weaknesses up front still? Um, what's your What's your take on that as we get closer and closer to week one, whether this is going to work for Kirk Cousins? I think it will. I think this is a system that will improve this offense. Now, the question is, how much can it improve it and how good can the offense get? I think that's still sort of up in the air and to be determined, but... It's a quarterback-friendly system, and it's a system that's friendly to other positions as well. You know, when you look at these kinds of systems, they tend to get career years out of quarterbacks, but they also get career years out of offensive linemen Mm -hmm. because they minimize, essentially, the difficulty of the job. There's a ton of plays where, particularly the tackles, they're not really blocking, you know, an honest drop-back one-on-one with a guy rushing to his outside. It's a rollout. You're sort of faking a down block, and then you're just sealing the backside. It's a much easier job for those guys. Um, and then you also get into the sort of interesting aspect of, you know, this Vikings offense has two incredible wide receivers, but can't find a third. You know, they, they, they're struggling desperately to find that third guy that everybody else appears to be able to, you know, they're growing on trees in the rest of the league. <laughs> but this is an offense that might not need that third wide receiver. You know, it can focus more on those heavy tight end sets and running backs out of the backfield and two wide receivers might be enough to be everything they need it to be with, with all that um, boot action and, and, you know, motion and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think it's an offense that is tailored to the personnel they have and should make them uh, significantly better than they were a year ago. And then the question just becomes, you know, where is the ceiling? Okay. Well, answer that because uh, I like. Well, I'll tell you a stat that I think is kind of telling that I like to look at. Just um, that, that gives you an idea of how good a passing offense was, or even just an offense. But I like to look at the passing offense because I think that tells you more about your actual offense than running, which is a lot of noise, as you guys would say. Uh, expected points added on Pro Football Reference. The top four teams last year were Kansas City, New Orleans, New England, and Atlanta, and then the Rams are fifth. So it, it tells you that your passing offense is being really successful and efficient, right? And maybe there are better stats out there, but I, I think this one usually tells us something. And the Vikings are 22nd last year, telling you that even though they put up a lot of yards, it's not particularly efficient. They weren't coming at important times or anything like that in the game. So let's just call them the 22nd passing offense. What, what do they need to be to be a legitimately competitive team for a Super Bowl, for an NFC Championship? If, if we accept that they're 22nd last year, how, how, where do they need to jump to? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that hinges on how good the defense is going to be. Um, you know, that, that was the thing that took them as far as they went when they, they made the NFC Championship game a couple of years back. And when that took a big step back, the offense hadn't really changed, so the team was suddenly a, an awful lot worse. So if that defense gets back to being one of the best units in football, honestly, the offense doesn't need to get an awful lot better at all for them to be a really imposing team. But if it jumps into the top half, the defense gets a little more breathing room, and it can be a good, not great unit. And if they jump into the top 10, you know, the defense doesn't have to be that great at all. It just needs to be able to hold its own, and the the, the totality of the team 
is still a really good playoff caliber team. So I think those two things work in harmony. But you know, if this team is aiming for the bottom end of the top ten, if it aims to be the tenth best offense in football. I think that the the roster overall is in really good shape. So are you buying that the defense will be that good? Because I've got questions about that. With ages of players and Linval Joseph just starting to practice right now, they lose Sheldon Richardson. I I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be a bad defense under Mike Zimmer. It never has been, and I wouldn't expect it. It will be as long as he's dialing it up, but... You know, some of that talent that was number one in the league in 2017 is just a little bit uh, on the older side now. Yeah, I don't think it's getting back to that 2017 levels. I think it's going to be somewhere more like it was a year ago, at which point now that's sort of setting the terms of how good you need your offense to be because you know that the defense is not going to carry games anymore. You need the offense to, to be good enough to step up and actually win some games, not just... Um, not just sort of finish the job that the defense is doing. So, yeah, I think this offense should be aiming to to be a kind of top 10 unit, a 10th, 11th, that kind of area. And then the defense, it's it like you said, you, you named it pretty well, that under Mike Zimmer, his defenses tend to be good, not great. And every now and again, the stars align and, and everything comes together and you put together a really imposing unit. But I would say his baseline for defenses is that he's going to have a good unit. It's probably not going to be a great one. All right, Sam, so uh, last thing for you. Uh, I get to cover a Kyler Murray game here for preseason, and I was saying earlier that I'm very rarely excited to go cover a preseason game. I mean, always football, but, like, you know. Uh, this time I am to see Kyler Murray in person and get a little bit of a feel for what he looks like on an actual NFL field. How do you think this is going to play out with Kyler Murray? I mean, his team around him is pretty meh, but the Cliff Kingsbury thing has a lot of intrigue, and your PFF numbers from Murray in college was like he broke your system. So, I, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, I mean, he's a really intriguing player. Um, everything about him really is pretty fascinating. And what's even down to the two preseason games so far, you know, the, the first game was only a drive, but he looked really good, um, looked poised. Everything was going well. And then the second one was, you know, not good at all. So even just in preseason, we've seen the sort of two ends of the scale of how this can go. You know, I think ultimately he's going to be a really exciting player. Anybody that plays like that is going to be worth the price of admission. Um, and then we just need to understand, one, what's his level of consistency going to be like week to week? And two, what kind of impact is the rest of that offense going to have on what he can do? Because whether it's protection, you know, even the first drive where he looked good, that drive ended because a wide receiver stepped out of bounds, caused a penalty that backed him up, and then the sender, you know, snapped the ball in the wrong count, and that caused a sack, and, and there's the end of the drive. So, you know, his season really could be this story of him playing pretty well and then just everybody around him letting him down. Do you enjoy preseason, or is it a drag for you? I, I think it's getting worse. Um, I think it used I to be really fascinating when the, you know you had smaller rosters. We got to see starters for an extended period of time. Then we got to see the intriguing players, the rookies, lower down the depth chart. Now I think it's sort of swung too much towards that, and we're just seeing too many players that we know are not making rosters, mm-hmm. and particularly on the offensive line. You know, the second a second string a second string unit comes in, it's almost game over. There's just quarterbacks can't deal with that kind of pressure. There's no kind of quality of backup linemen, and the whole game sort of disintegrates around them. Did you see the clip where the uh, Chargers long snapper walked out onto the field before the play was over and almost got run over? Yes, yeah, that was beautiful. <laughs> 
that makes it worth it for me. I mean, I, I don't love the football, but when stuff like that can happen, then uh, then maybe it is worth it. Sam, uh, we're going to do this all season long with PFFs, people dialing in from Cincinnati and, and uh, breaking it down. So looking forward to that, man, and thanks for your time. All live from the closet. I know, that's great. Yeah, The closet does have good acoustics. It sounds great. Good acoustics and good equipment. We're well. It's a well-equipped closet. <laughs> uh, my favorite kind of closet, I guess. Um, <laughs> we'll just end this then. All right. Thanks, thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Anytime. Take it easy. Uh, Sam Monson there. Follow him at uh, PFF underscore Sam from Pro Football Focus. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be cool. Each week we're going to have somebody um, on Wednesdays around 4 o'clock is what we're going to shoot for from PFF that we've got them all hooked up down there. So very cool. Uh, around the country, people joining us to talk football. But here in the studio, there is a Zolgad who is dying. Yeah, he's sitting right here he's, in my studio. He's, uh, he's probably in there swearing about how the Twins are playing right now. They're yes, down 4 nothing, so. But he is dying to get the latest on the kicking competition. So we will update that and some uh, some things from uh, <laughs> practice and so forth today. So we'll be uh, right back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. <laughs> So Sloter to Zilstra, 11-play drive. Corey Vedvik will come on to attempt the extra point. We've seen him do it all here tonight. And it's up and good. And so Minnesota in the lead. Oh, a great day for me, but not for the Twins, Judd Zolgan. I'll tell you why. Yes, sir. 2013, in late August. Mm-hmm. At Dwyer Stadium in Batavia, New York, this large gentleman on the mound right now at Target Field, Lucas Giolito, yeah. took on the Batavia Muck Dogs, and I was there, and he struck out everybody. <laughs> and he allowed two hits through five innings and dominated them like I had never seen a single-A pitcher dominate. Yep. And here he is, about to shut out the Minnesota now, Twins. Now, was so this at a time that? that he was a in the Washington National System? It was, yep. He was an Auburn Doubleday, and he was one of their top, if not their top, pitching prospect. Now, they made that trade for Adam Eaton? Yes, it? It, was two, it was the kid that started last night who, who actually has good stuff. Yeah. Got hit eventually. Yeah. And Giolito. The squirrel threw him off. I mean... I got nothing for you. Right? I th- More than anything, the guy was uh, just distracted by... The squirrel. All right. Well, we won't spend too much time. I believe that. that. I believe the young man is going to be a good pitcher, but he also, you know, I mean, these guys can hit. But uh, yeah, this is fun. Now, now, I'm going before we get back to the topic at hand, Matthew Collar. I'm going to explain something because okay. this is really weird. Giolito's about to pitch what they used to call a complete game in baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about that? All one nine, out away. All nine innings where there's nobody below him in the box score for the White Sox pitching staff. So I'm lucky to be just old enough to remember the complete game. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I remember Boston Red Sox Roger Clemens. So I'm just, yes. I'm just old, okay, good. old enough. Many of our listeners are probably like, what's a complete game, Mr. Collar? <laughs> Podcast listeners. Uh, okay, so Judd, um, there's a kicking competition, and yesterday... Uh, Kerry Vedvik was booting some field goals. Some went in, some did not. He had a chance in a situational drill to hit a 59-yarder. Mm-hmm. And man, that would have been impressive, but he did not make said 59-yarder. Now, when Kerry Vedvik punted the other night, he hit some serious line drives. And I think that would be a bit of a concern because if you give... 20 yards to a punt returner in the NFL, they're going to make something happen with that. And 
What are the chances that this thing turns out that Matt Weil and Dan Bailey are still the kicker and punter when we start the season? I would have said zero when they traded for him, but after seeing a little bit of it, I'm not entirely convinced that it's zero. How much is Matt Weil punting in practice? He did yesterday. Okay. He He was the only punter punting because Vedvik was kicking. All right, let me ask you this. Because uh, Spielman did send a fifth-round pick to Baltimore for Vedvik. When Zimmer gets up there and says, yeah, we're looking at them but haven't decided yet, do you buy into the fact that there's any possibility that the Vikings don't have any clue what they're doing here? Like, I don't buy that, but the more that <laughs> the more we watch this, and, and what's weird is, and I enjoyed this immensely, but on Sunday, the real chaos was on the sideline. It was. It wasn't on the field. It was who's doing what, who gets to use the punting and kicking nets, so part of me, part of me, I guess, sort of in the back of my mind, believes that they might not have a clue what they're doing here with this, which makes it worse. By the what's, way, what's what's curious to me is it sounds like Mike Zimmer was not super happy with the way Weil and Bailey had performed, and then he called someone that he knew with Baltimore, who used to be with Baltimore, and they said, "Yeah, this kid's pretty darn talented." So Zimmer said, "Okay, well, bring him in," because Zimmer is not a general manager; he's a football man, and he doesn't really look at things through the prism of what you're giving up versus what you're getting. He's just saying, wait, there's a human being who might be better at football than another human being. Give me him. Give me the better man. And uh, so Spielman says, okay, Mike, well, we'll get this kid for you. We'll bring him in. Uh, now, here's here's what I wonder about, though, is whether if he doesn't perform exceptionally well at either task, whether it would be Zimmer or Spielman making the final call here. I get the sense that Zimmer is the one who's always shaping at 53, and it's the coaching staff, not the general manager, who are saying who they want to be on the roster. I mean, I don't know if you get any different impression from that, but I've always seen this as Spielman's job in the front office is to go out and get Mike what he wants. Yeah. So when Mike wants Shamar Steffen back, they go get Shamar Steffen back for him. Or when Mike wants to find some sort of three-technique undersized rusher, yep. they get Hercules Mata'afa or Tom Johnson back, right? I mean, this that's the way that Spielman explained it to me. Yep. And I wonder if, in this case, if the coaching staff said, you know, it was a good idea to bring him in because maybe he could be special, but he's not special, and so here we are. All right, let's go through this. Uh, when when Spielman got the job and replaced Fran Foley in 2006, we uh, later found out around the time that Childress got fired and he got super defensive, he revealed to somebody that he had control of the 53. So he, he was, in, a, in fact, the de facto GM of that team. And Rick got the groceries for him, but Brad controlled the entire thing. After uh, the disastrous season, but they didn't fire less, but they severed they severed the 50-50 that, that they gave uh, Rick and Leslie, which was, what, 2011 or so? And then Rick became, in 2012, I believe, GM of the team, giving him all control of the 53. The way I see the Zimmer thing, unless you completely disagree, is this. When it comes to defense, Mike is calling all the shots. Yeah. Like, Mike is not saying to Rick, what do you think I should do at safety? He's saying, Rick, here's what we're going to do. Offense, I think he prefers to take the creative control and give it to a trusted assistant. Now a guy by the name of Gary Kubiak. Yeah. But I, but I, with, with DeFilippo, there might have been enough problems there where Mike was saying, I think we should do this. I think with Gary now, it's Gary's call. Special teams, I would guess, has to be 
Mike definitely weighs in, but Matthew, if you're Rick Spielman and you see you see Mike's um, pitfalls, I'm not letting Mike make those calls. I mean, this, this was I was not joking when I said Nate Kading being your kicking consultant's a great idea because Mike can basically go away. Then he doesn't. Mike Zimmer and special teams do not mix. So, so if Mike now comes back and is like, well, the kid from Baltimore wasn't what I thought and we should, I, if I'm Rick, I'm like, no, Mike, weigh in, go ahead. But this call ultimately comes down to people who probably know more about that job than you do. It's, it's just very hard for me to see Zimmer allowing them to part ways with Dan Bailey, considering Bailey's history as a very good kicker in the NFL, that Zimmer is not going to want a wide receiver holding, a rookie snapping, and a rookie kicking in a season where his career is on the line. And his career, which kickers have consistently messed up, except for Kai Forbath in the playoffs. Um, So I think that they'll still keep Bailey, and he did the kicking the other night. I agree with you on that. I think Bailey has this roster made. But the punting situation then... I don't know. They they were all high on Matt Weil the same way last year, yeah. and they signed him. Yeah. And then with uh, Vedvik, they go trade for him. And maybe part of the strategy, and this is just like ultimate overthinking. Mm-hmm. Part of the strategy was, well, we've got to keep him away from Chicago. Like we can't we can't let Chicago that, that trade would be, for him. That would be Spielman. Yeah, Mike wouldn't care about that. No, well. no, no. I agree. Rick would I be agree. like, I got to outsmart the Bears. So. Here's a fifth round pick, right? Um, we were hoping the other night to get some sort of clarity on what's going on here, and I, I don't think we have it. I it's just to me after those line drive punts, it made me think, oh, okay, is he one of those guys? One of those guys who could just boom the ever loving heck out of the football with his leg, but that's not really what the job is. That's why I was really surprised last year when they moved on from Ryan Quigley was. Well, the guy was actually pretty good at putting it where you wanted to put it. Yes. It's just that he didn't have this massive booming leg, but sometimes that gets you in trouble. And uh, anyway, so. I, I lost all faith in in the current administration's ability to judge special specialists when they just didn't keep Quigley and Forbath because yeah. there was no yep. reason not to. I, I, agree. I yep. understand that Forbath had some uh, problems when it came to extra points, but as we've talked about. He made the field goal against the Saints, which came under tremendous pressure. That that would have earned from me as a coach another year of goodwill right there. And to try and shake that up and to try and draft a kicker. Um, and I don't care. Daniel Carlson could end up in 20 years in Canton in the Hall of Fame. And I will always say, yeah, that's fine. But the Minnesota Vikings, with, their, with Mike Zimmer as their head coach, had no business yeah. drafting a rookie kicker. So what's funny about that is if the miracle play never happens, then Kai Forbath, they probably don't try to replace him because it would have looked ridiculous if they did. He would have been the hero of that thing. I mean, 52 or 53 yards with that type of pressure, I mean, it was an, an incredible kick to, to be that, that distance with that situation. If you miss that, your season is over. And this guy, and Kai's a weird guy, but like when he would lock in, he seemed to be like really focused and just very good at his job. And he made a very high percentage of his kicks. And to get rid of him and then now just chase your tail all over the place, there's almost part of this of where if you let Bailey go, you continue to look more ridiculous. If you do it for a punter, it's kind of fine. Yes. But you're going to look really silly if you do it for the kicker. I mean, for the Vikings, field goals, not extra points. I'm not so concerned with Forbath and the extra points. 
But field goals over two years, and this doesn't count the the playoffs, he made 88.7% of his field goals, including 7 out of 10 from 50-plus. And you're worried about a handful of extra points? So how does that get you cut is my question. Wow. I mean, that was just and replaced, that was great kicking. And and it does not get you. Now, if they had replaced him with a veteran from the open market who was Seabass, yeah. who, who I've always said would be the ultimate Zim kicker. Because <laughs> he smokes cigarettes, yeah. he drinks probably on the bench, which is all fine. Uh, but you bring in a rookie? Now, now I do think week, week one, my prediction after what we saw on Sunday, is Bailey a kicker, Vedvik at punter. I don't see them not keeping a guy that Rick traded a fifth-round pick for. Uh, BB holds, and then Vedvik, if... Kicks off, and if they have a fifty plus, he takes that. Okay, so since for I field know, goal. since I know that there are people who listen regularly who are saying, "Okay, guys, let go Kai Forbeth." Um, a no, and uh, B, let's talk about something that was said on this radio station today by Robert Mays and Sam Monson. Mm-hmm. So Mays came here; he did his big piece where he interviewed Rick and uh, Stefanski and Gary Kubiak and everything. Kubiak still didn't tell him exactly how he got here, but. Uh, maybe that mystery will go down with the what happened. He to just North. woke up at TCO. Yeah. <laughs> he was sleep. He's like, "Where am I? Oh, I'm at TCO before. Hey, you guys got a job? Wait, are I those got, uh, play got, actions on your whiteboard? <laughs> I got drugged, dragged to Egan, dumped on the practice field, and next thing I know, I'm jawing up plays for Kirk Cousins. Uh, so the, the there was no light revealed on exactly that subject, but both Robert and Sam Monson said that the way they see this offense, it matches up with my feeling for the most part from training camp and what we've seen in the preseason games, that they think it's going to work. And I asked Sam Monson to tell me how good he thinks that the Vikings offense needs to be in, in terms of the passing game. Let's not worry too much about the running game, but the passing game, how good do they have to be to actually be a Super Bowl NFC championship, like twelve and four, eleven and five, how good do they have to be to get there? Considering that the defense probably won't be number one. Okay. So last year they were twenty second in estimated points added, or uh, I'm sorry, expected points added mm-hmm. in passing. Twenty second. Mm-hmm. They were worse than San Francisco and slightly above Oakland. They were bad at passing the football last year when it came to efficiency. Number one was Kansas City. Number two was New Orleans. Number three, New England. Four, Atlanta. And five, L.A. Rams. Sound familiar? Aside from Atlanta, yeah. those are the teams that you know won all the games. Those are okay teams. So uh, how good does this passing game have to be then for them to actually be a great team? Not just like, okay, not just pretty good, but a, but a great team. <sighs> for them to be a great team. Uh, I would say that if you're going to be great, it probably needs to be... Okay, let me assume that the defense is still going to be good, not lights out, but very good. Uh, It has to be in, I would say, the top eight. But but by the way, that's asking a lot. It is. All right, so let's take a look here. Uh, Last year, some teams, and this is just in terms of um, expected points added, which compares your situation for how many yards you get and things like that. Um, Seattle was 11th, Houston was 12th, Indianapolis 9th, Philly 10th. If you get into that ballpark, you are definitely in the playoffs, I think, if you're the Vikings. 
A little bit above that, oddly enough, the Steelers botched the end of their season and missed the playoffs. But in the top six is all great passing games, elite quarterbacks. Sean McVay is mixed in. I think that they can get into that range of where Philly, Indianapolis, Seattle, and, and Houston so top were last 12? year. I think top 12, top 12? is okay. reasonable. And then the rest is going to have to depend on Delvin Cook in the backfield, the um, injuries, the fumbles. But part of this question is actually really about the defense. Because if you were to tell me that the Vikings would have the number one defense, I would say, get into the top 15 on offensive passing and you'll be fine. I mean, if you have a number one defense like the Bears had last year, you don't even have to be great at this. And you, Which, Chicago was 13th overall, so they weren't terrible in passing. But you don't have to be great at this to be a super competitive team. Mm-hmm. I'm just... I'm having a really tough time getting around to trusting the Vikings defense this year. Can I tell you why? Are you? Yes. And, and you know what? It occurred to me why it occurred to me as we watched the first team defense a couple of times on Sunday. Here's why. Everson Griffin. I don't think he's back. Mm. I went to brought him back and I don't think he's back. I think that he's going to be not saying he's going to be a disaster, but I am saying that the guy that we saw at least a couple of years ago, basically play at a Pro Bowl level on a weekly basis, is gone. It concerns me that Joseph's been hurt so much. He's just getting back to practice. I know, but that that's always a red flag. That yep. does, It doesn't mean disaster, but it also but you also cannot assume, oh, he's going to be himself and fine. It can take a while. Sometimes it can take a year. So I'm just putting it out there. Weatherly, how good is he? Is he potentially a, a guy that could take a step towards being dominant? Is is he a guy that, that we all thought last year, wow, he's pretty good, but he's pretty good, and that's it? Hunter, I have no doubt about. I think he's very good. Anthony Barr, I think our expectation now, as we discussed before, is going to be extremely high. Look, he got paid, he came back, now he's going to rush the passer, and no, he's still a good player, but he's not mm-hmm. a great player, right? Eric Kendricks last year, definite step backwards. Um, Anthony Harris. Lot being asked there, and and I I'm not completely sold there. Harrison Smith is aging. Still think he's good. Aging. Xavier Rhodes is definitely aging. So so there's just, there's just a lot of if you put the pieces of the puzzle together, you just the one thing that you can't do, Matthew to me in this league is assume that running it back is always going to work. So who's the most important? You think it's Griffin is the most important of all of those, or who's the most important? No, I think who will determine oh, whether this no. is a top five defense or not. No, I. You know who I actually think, who I think is extremely important, instrumental, and we don't talk about him a ton, but the fact he's been hurt really concerns me. Linval, yeah, the yeah, interior of important. a Mike Zimmer defense, the heart of a Mike Zimmer defense is extremely important. No, I just think that Griffin shouldn't have been brought back. And I also just think that he's sort of gone off that cliff. So last which year, which is too bad for him. By the same metric, the expected points um, added, but this is Pro Football Runs where the stat comes from, and and I just I just like it because it factors in situation, and I think it gives you a more accurate depiction. Vikings total team defense were third in the NFL, and a big part of this is how great they are on third downs. That if you're stopping every third and five or longer and other teams are giving them up like the Vikings often do, then you're talking about um, that being more valuable. Like you can sort of bend, but don't break. You can give up some longer drives, but if you make those stops on key third downs or in the red zone, as Zimmer defenses are so great at, then you're still going to score very high in the expected points category. 
and they're third last year, and they had a lot go wrong for them. There were players injured, Rhodes wasn't all that good, and Griffin had his issues and everything else. So I guess my question is, is Mike Zimmer just so good at this that no matter what happens, they're going to be a good defense? Even if all the things that you just described, even if Linval isn't the same, even if Barr isn't any different, if Rhodes is the same as he was last year and dinged up at times, even if they don't have great depth in the secondary, like all these things could be things that would dismantle many coaches. But if we know one thing about Zimmer, the reason he's had so much success here is because... He's just really good at this. This is why Joseph um, being hurt scares me. I think that Mike, Mike can find, create, cultivate, and have success, not completely stopping, but but having a good chance against the passing game. His work with cornerbacks and safeties is pretty incredible. If Linval Joseph takes a step backwards, he's just not the same. We've seen this run game under Mike gashed before. Yeah. And and at times when it doesn't go well, gashed badly. What actually, if I was a Vikings fan, answering your question, what would frighten me far more is, do I think that Zimmer can prop up a run game that's coming unglued? My answer is pretty much no. Pat, a pass defense, I think he can. But we've sat in U.S. Bank Stadium on road trips before, and we've seen teams run at will at times. And that changes the dynamic of that defense completely. Okay, so I got an email the other day asking for more talk about bubble players. And I haven't made a 53, Judd. So I want you to ask me about some bubble players and the next potential 53. Because I think we should wait till the third preseason game is over to throw out a 53-man roster. And that's the appropriate time. Like, don't worry too much about that fourth preseason game. It's probably all decided going into that fourth preseason game. So I'll do another one for our website, scorenorth.com. It's free. Um, but but let's talk a little bit about it because I think that uh, some people definitely want to know what's going on in, in the uh, corners of the roster. So let's finish up the show today with that. Also, at the fair tomorrow, that's going to be awesome. Courtney Cronin will be out there. And then next week, Sage is going to be at the fair. Alex Boone's going to be at the fair. Yep. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, all right, we'll come right back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. 3.48 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. Time to talk more Vikings here on Purple Daily. This from Greg Rosenthal over at NFL Network. He was on the Rich Eisen show yesterday talking about which teams in the NFC are primed to go to the Super Bowl? You said this about your Minnesota Vikings. I think there's a group, though, and I put the Vikings in there. The Vikings, the Saints, and the Rams, where it wouldn't be a surprise if any of those teams made the Super Bowl. But the Vikings are the one I feel like aren't getting as much attention for whatever reason. Adding Kubiak to that offense with a defense that you can't really keep together that long mm-hmm. in the salary cap era, but they have, and is that talented, seem as primed as anyone. Another one of the best offensive minds of the 21st century, Gary Kubiak, who to me is a godsend for that team, is exactly what they needed. So, Vikings fans, do you agree with his take that the Vikings are one of the four or five teams primed in the NFC to win the Super Bowl, if not the most primed team to go to that Super Bowl? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment today of Purple Daily. 
Thank you, Jonathan. All right, so I'm going to start working on this 53-man roster projection. Judd, I've got four computers. I've got TVs. i got clickers. i got analytics. i got my direct line to pro football focus in Cincinnati. More importantly, you've got, a, you've got an endless supply of diet Dr. Pepper. Oh, yeah. I've already pounded two during the show. So, um, all right. You've got the depth chart. I do. You've got the roster. I do. Who are you interested in? Jonathan is going to ramp up some NFL music here to talk the tough decisions that will be made on the 53 man. Okay, I'm going to start at at wide receiver. No, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving up on this game quickly. Neither is Mike. That's been the game. Zimmer said yesterday he has no idea. That's been the game. But I'm going to start (laughs) with the name that, that Mike so forthright told us on Sunday. We were showcasing him. What does happen to Laquan Treadwell here? I believe he will be cut. I don't think they're going to pull off <laughs> after a last Sun- trade. After Sunday, <laughs> he certainly can't be traded. <laughs> uh, no, probably not now. Uh, maybe they do get a last-second, seventh-round conditional pick for Laquan Treadwell. I do not believe he will be a part of the roster. And when someone says we're showcasing him, I think it's very clear you are not on the team. All right, one more because this guy almost gave his life on Sunday while trying to return a punt. B.C. Johnson. I, I think we will B.C. and Johnson Whoa! here. Oh, wow. That's the end of today's show. I, yep. uh, I, I do think that he's going to make the team. I, my projection will be Thielen Diggs, B.B., B.C., and Zilstra. I think. Okay. Jeff Bidette got hurt again. Sorry. I, he just is hurt all the time. So that's not going to happen. Jordan Taylor hasn't done a darn thing. Laquan Treadwell had three years to try to be good and wasn't. And then none of these other guys, Alexander Hollins, Dylan Mitchell was playing at the final plays of the game the other night. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to argue for him. And then they'll probably keep one of those guys or two of those guys on the practice squad just in case. Do you recall last year when the Vikings were trying to find um, a replacement because Elfline had been hurt for so long, and they went out and acquired Brett Jones. Oh, yeah. And Brett Jones started, and now we never hear a thing about Brett Jones. I am here to bring up the name of Brett Jones, the backup center. Brett Jones is a 1,000% on this football squad. There is no question in my mind he's been terrific in the preseason games. Legitimately great. I mean, he's playing against second teams, and he's a guy who started, so he should stand out. He is also... One of it's this is a great part about a football team. There's so many damn people that you're like, did you guys know that Brett Jones is actually brilliant at football? He really is. Sure. He's extremely smart, really bright with a young offensive line. Brett Jones is a great guy to have around. He'll be on the team. Okay, besides him and and Rashad Hill, who I'm sure sticks. Hill is definitely he's on got the, the team, team made. Well. Yep. Of the backups who exist, who do you think makes this team? I think that Danny Isadora gets cut, and they will keep... Oh, no, the bloggers aren't going to be happy. Oh, I know. They used to love Danny Isadora. He was the darling. Here's the secret. I'll just reveal this one. Okay. In OTAs, Mike Zimmer will mention two to three players who aren't really very good, but have shown him something in OTAs, and it doesn't mean anything. All right, Hercules Mata'afa, a few years ago, Isaac Frickty, like it doesn't mean anything. So a couple years ago, he shouted out Danny Isadora, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, wow, he's going to be our starting guard. Like, no, no, not really. Um, it would be shocking if they cut Drew Samia. He was getting work with the second team. Yeah, I don't think it's been really impressive by any means, but it's a fourth-round pick, and you wouldn't want to do that again. Not another Willie Beavers? No, that would never happen, you know. That. Nope. All right. If they keep more than three tight ends, 
David Morgan, Brandon Dillon, or Cole, help me out on the last Hikatini. thing. Okay. Uh, they will keep Cole Hikatini, and they will put on injured reserve David Morgan if they are indeed going to keep four tight ends, which I think is a possibility. They've liked what they've seen from Cole Hikatini, and this offense needs tight ends. I wouldn't even be surprised if they kept four and had another one on the practice squad. Gary Kubiak likes tight ends like I like Diet Dr. Pepper. I mean, he is all about them. Wow. Just drink some up, huh? Mm. Ask another question. Halfback, <laughs> halfback has very interestingly right now, third team Amir Abdullah and Mike Boone and D'Angelo Henderson as the co-fourth team guys. How does that play? I can't stop calling him D'Angelo Vickers. I can't. Just the office, like the, the Will Ferrell character, D'Angelo Vickers. This is such a funny name. I think they're going to keep... <laughs> and you told me to move on. Yes. I, I know. I think they're going to keep Delvin, Alexander Madison, and Mike Boone, and not Amir Abdullah. I think Amir Abdullah is um, injured a lot, and he got cut from the Lions for a reason. He fumbled that ball in the first preseason game. I think that sealed his fate, don't you? My understanding is, too, that he was hurt today in practice uh, as well, because I'm here and not at practice sure. today. But I think he got hurt in practice as well. He's been dinged up. He didn't play the other night. I... Did he sort of fall to the ground and like? Because you know, sometimes, oh, yes. sometimes, sometimes, sometimes when, you need, when you need an injury, injury oh my settlement. ankle, my ankle's <laughs> killing me, coach. One more. All right. Um, actually, a pretty high draft pick who we we liked a lot at one point, sort of been lost in the shuffle. Jaleel Johnson. Jaleel Johnson will make the squad because they don't have anybody else who could play nose tackle. I don't know how high they are on Jaleel Johnson, but they just don't have any other options unless somebody gets cut. He's a disappointment, right? I don't know. Is a fourth round pick who can play we, a little? But a we sat in the press box in his well, rookie year preseason, preseason yep. and said this kid's impressive. Yep, he was very good his first preseason. So uh, I, I don't know. I think that if you are a backup as a fourth round pick, then okay, then you've done good enough. I don't foresee a second contract for him. Just quickly, so. fifth cornerback is whom? Oh, man. This is the big You're... one to me. Because there's a lot of names left there. A I lot mean, of names they... left. And Mike Hughes is not going to be playing to start the season. Benet Ben Wickery, I guess. I mean, I don't That's know. A great name. Yeah, I'm not convinced. Sounds like a play. Real. All right. Benet Ben Wickery. Uh, I think, but Chris Boyd does not look like he's going to be on the team. All right. So, okay. All right. Thanks, Thank you. Uh, Judd. And coming up next, it is Mackie and Judd with Rami. Some baseball talk. Twins only got three hits and no runs today. All right. So, we'll, you guys will break that down when we return here. This has been Purple Daily. If you missed any of the show, download it on iTunes and give it a perfect grade, I guess. So uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.